Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, and welcome to Sex, Psychics, and Psychedelics, Discovering Inner Liberation. My name is Banana Jane Garnett. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, a lover of freedom, and a relentless explorer of the mind. Please come join me on my journey in hot pursuit of inner illumination and liberation. For more about me, you can find me at The Banana Jane on Instagram. Now let's dive in. My next guest is Rock Fielding Mellon. Rock is a psychedelics entrepreneur and an investor and a co-founder of Beckley Retreats. Beckley Retreats is a new branch of the British Psychedelics Research Institute, the Beckley Foundation, run by Amanda Fielding. Amanda Fielding, dubbed the queen of psychedelics, is the mother of Rock. Rock is the child of the queen of psychedelics. He started his life in a completely different capacity as a conservative politician in England. He had a change of heart and now he's fully on board the psychedelics mission. And I just want to start with, you know, our long history, which was, you know, a whole, what, a minute and a half at the bottom of an escalator in the in the psychedelics Absolutely. conference, the MAPS conference, 2023. And I, I saw your, your name badge, um, Sex, Psychics and Psychedelics. And I thought, God, that's something I want to learn about. So I feel I should be asking you questions. Well, feel free, you know, um, I love to, I love to talk about all these things. So yeah, let's just have a, you know, a two-way conversation. But I mean, in terms of name badges, I saw Beckley, I don't know if I said Beckley Retreats or Beckley Institute, but I've always been interested in the Beckley Institute as a, as a Brit, knowing that there's this really good psychedelic work going on over there that I don't know about. I'm so delighted to, to, to meet you and have this opportunity to talk a bit more about about Beckley and your role in it. And, and then we can go more into kind of like, you know, a juicy exploration, but let's get really grounded. Can you just tell us about what the Beckley Institute is and then about your role in it? The Beckley Foundation. Oh, Beckley um, Foundation, excuse me. Beckley okay. Foundation. So the Beckley Foundation is a not-for-profit charity in the UK. It's a UN accredited NGO, which was set up by my mother, Amanda Fielding, 25 years ago, actually, um, this year, we just celebrated its 25th anniversary. My, my mother's kind of involvement in history with psychedelics, indeed, my mother and my father's involvement in psychedelics goes back long before that, all the way to the mid-60s. But by the late 90s, my mother realized that um, the only way to really move the conversation forward, um, both in terms of trying to restart scientific research into the potential uh, within these compounds, but also to try and change and reform some of the, the kind of politically motivated drug policies um, that are still in force. 
was was through science. And so it was a, a little bit of a kind of Gordian knot. You couldn't do scientific research because of the policies, and the policies wouldn't be reformed without scientific research. Um, and my my mother um, had left school at 16 and gone off on an adventure uh, trying to find her, actually her Buddhist godfather in Sri Lanka and done all sorts of adventures. Um, so didn't have any letters after her name, but um, because of her long history in psychedelics, she was good friends with people like Albert Hoffman and, and Sasha Shulgin. And also just through her own incredible for, kind of forceful nature and perseverance and charm, she managed to persuade many of the leading scientists, um, such as Professor Colin Blakemore at Oxford and Les Iverson and others to join her scientific advisory board. And the Beckley Foundation has been absolutely one of the, kind of the instrumental organizations together with MAPS in the US and the Hefter Institute. Rick and Dave Nichols are old friends and allies of mums. But it's been one of the kind of the, the leading lights in initiating the, the kind of the scientific research that now underlies what people are calling the psychedelic renaissance. So she did a lot of work with Professor David Nutt, who was originally at Bristol University in the UK and then at Imperial College. Um, Robin Carhart-Harris, who was also first at Imperial and now is at um, UC San Francisco. They, they did the kind of Beckley Imperial Research um, Program. So it lost the, the first brain imaging studies of the human brain on psilocybin and LSD was done uh, kind of at the instigation of the Beckley Foundation. And then those, the, the first studies looking at psilocybin as a cure for treatment-resistant depression was also part of the Beckley Imperial Psychedelic Program. So she's been at the forefront of, of this movement for, for a long time. Yeah, I know she's a legend and and dubbed the, the queen of psychedelics. I'm, I'm a little jealous of that title. I'd like to just like wrestle that crown. No, it's fantastic. Um, I'm wondering. You're, you're I mean, I've in your hands. No, no trust me. I know because I've seen her speak. Actually, she. I think she she either opened or closed at the Maps conference before the one I met you at. And uh, yeah, I, I could see what a force she was. I was very inspired and. I, I want to ask more about your role in it, but just just on Amanda and, and this sort of kind of this force and this mission. What was the what was her personal drive? Why did she care so much about this work? Well, yeah, I mean, she tells um, the story obviously much better than I can. But from a very young age, she well experienced, as I think quite a lot of children do, but remained retained a very strong interest in in the mystical experience, the idea of the mystical experience. As I say, she she kind of left her Catholic convent school at sixteen because they wouldn't let her read texts on Buddhism. So she she decided to go off on her own to Sri Lanka um, to find her godfather. Um, when she came back, she managed to persuade Professor Charles Zaner of All Souls in Oxford, who was one of the kind of he, he was a kind of I think slightly earlier than Houston Smith, but one of the kind of world's leading experts on compassion religions to to give her tutorials. So she's always had this, this interest in, in kind of mystical experience and comparative religions. She then, I think it was in 1965, was first introduced to LSD and had, as you can imagine, an, an amazing experience. But she actually, like many people, that first experience was kind of mind-blowing. She, she described it as like going on a, a trip to God's fun fair. You know, it was great and beautiful, but it was, it was like a, it was a fun fact. It was like something. <laughs> so it was a lot yeah. and kind of amazing, but not something you necessarily take seriously. But it was a year later when she 
um, met and fell in love with a Dutch scientist called Bart Huguets, who would later become my godfather, um, who had developed a kind of what, what you call the mechanism, a, a kind of whole theory of how um, psychedelics and other practices and tools can expand uh, the volume of blood in the brain and through that expand consciousness. And he developed this whole kind of set of practices for, for managing and using this expanded state of consciousness as a tool for kind of more creativity and more connection. So from 1966, my mother and my father always saw psychedelics not so much as I'm not saying they didn't find them fun, but they viewed them as really valuable tools for humanity to, um, you know, through this higher states of consciousness, not only need to kind of become more creative, but also to, to dig deeper and to kind of heal um, those deep wounds that most of us have. So, so that I was... like that you say most, I, I might go further than that. To be a human, perhaps, you know, you, you are, to be a little better, bit wounded. You're better informed about that than me. But yes, so that, that's, it's the, I think the combination of how psychedelics can quite, not, not, not always, but can be used as tools to kind of uh, access mystical experiences, you know, and then through that, how they can um, be used both for healing, but also just for kind of optimizing human consciousness. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's such a sort of a, a wide spectrum of, of uses within the sort of array of psychedelics. And then even within each one, as we're increasingly discovering, you know, something like ketamine can be used in so many ways and abused. You know, every, every medicine has its sort of spectrum and this place at which it turns into a poison. And anyway, we can get into all of that stuff later, but back to the sort of the, the Beckley overview. So, so research foundation now branching out, I think, with your, with your yes. input. Yes. So, so the, you know, the, the, the foundation, as I said, still my mother. That's when she's the director and founder of the Beckley Foundation. That is where she spends most of her time. And um, actually, the, I don't know if you know the Trip Report, which is a, a newsletter that um, Zach Pagany, who's one of my colleagues, writes. He's just um, written two very good kind of essays on, on the history of the Beckley Foundation and also what it's, what it's doing next. And she has an amazing... Uh, program of new research underway, actually specifically looking at how psychedelics can be used to foster the mystical experience and also how LSD might be able to use to tackle Alzheimer's. So that's still very much our focus. But about what kind of um, well, a few years ago, as the psychedelic renaissance was, was picking pace, and do you know of a company called Compass Pathways? Uh, I've heard of Compass, they're, yes. They're a drug development yeah. company. They were one of the first kind of for-profit drug development companies looking at psychedelics and, and their program of looking at psilocybin for treatment resistant depression, actually, as I, as I alluded to earlier, kind of came out of the research that Beckley did with Imperial. And I think, you know, as it became apparent that there was going to be more and more for-profit money coming into the space, my mother was, I think, a little ambivalent to, to kind of to start off with. Um, you know, had had some concerns about what that might mean in terms of the intention and, you know, the, the risk of people looking to cut corners and, and do things and get that extra bit of margin. But at the same time, having worked in the nonprofit space for 25 years, she was very aware of the limitations of 
how you know how far that can go to realizing her vision of making um, these compounds safely and legally accessible to people who who need and want to benefit from them. Um, and so, in the end, she took the view that it's better for someone like her and indeed like Matt, which has set up the the for profit PBC, to get involved and help to kind of try and shape the emerging for-profit space while it's still very much in its embryonic shape. And so both my brother and I um, are now supporting her in that. Um, my brother Cosmo is uh, leading Beckley SciTech, which is a drug development company that is taking various psychedelic compounds through clinical trials to get approved as, as pharmaceutical medicines by the FDA. And I am, well, with my mother and my partner, Daniel Love, leading Beckley Waves, which we're focused very much on the kind of application of that science, the how to actually build the infrastructure to enable safe and legal access to psychedelic therapies. Mm -hmm. So that involves, Beckley Waves involves retreats in countries where it's legal or? So Beckley Waves is... um, a holding company or um, a, a venture studio um, where we effectively try and identify critical gaps in the, in the kind of care delivery part of the ecosystem. So we don't get involved in the drug development, that's actually SciTech. We look at what, what are the gaps that need to be filled in order to make safe and legal and affordable access more scalable. Um, and so we then try and work with executives and kind of experts to build companies to meet those needs. So one of the companies that we have built is called Beckley Retreats, um, which, as you say, offers legal psilocybin retreats in both the Netherlands and Jamaica. Um, another company is called Beckley Academy, which is an education technology business looking to scale up the training of therapists, mental health professionals who want to be able to uh, offer psychedelic-assisted therapy to... Like the MAPS MDMA program? It's effectively looking ahead to as and when these compounds... So there's already ketamine, as, as you alluded to earlier, which is legal. And there's a lot of ketamine. You know, ketamine is being used more and more. And we think it's very important that there's ketamine-assisted therapy. We think the therapy is a very important element of all of agreed, these psychedelic agreed. therapies. Yes, and so yes. training the therapists in that is, is one of the kind of the most pressing bottlenecks and, and that's oh, yeah you've got you've got the training of the therapist and then you've got as i think you alluded to you've got this sort of the structural piece i you know took psychedelics in sort of the, the wild west of this movement you know um, which obviously is still out there which kind of involved finding somewhere it was going on going for it and then doing your own kind of like random willy-nilly processing afterwards meaning there was no real preparation there was no yeah. real integration and you know, a, a phrase I always use, results may vary on crack, you know, when you're, when you're working in that kind of way. So, yeah, I love that you have this, this, this background, you know, this infrastructure of kind of research. You know, we, we had a, 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 I was moved to tears, actually, reading uh, an article written by one of our recent participants at Beckley Retreats. Um, she's a lady in her 60s who sadly has a terminal cancer diagnosis. Um, she actually lives in Colorado. And, um, you know, Colorado's, I'm sure you know, recently passed a ballot initiative to, to decriminalize uh, or to legalize 
psilocybin and plant medicines in the state. She was actually looking after, after that legalization measure, how can she do it in Colorado? But she couldn't find any kind of facility that she felt safe with. And it was only when she came across the Beckley Retreats um, website and looked at our kind of team and our program, which has been very carefully designed, you know, to be it's one of the most comprehensive on the market. There's four weeks preparation, there's the week in Jamaica or the Netherlands, then a six week integration. Program. Yeah, I read about that. I was I was duly impressed by that. I mean, that just felt really solid to me. And um, well, thank you. And, and so, you know, I do I do think, you know, it it is especially you know there are people who are willing to go and as you say go to the wild west and and that's fine. But there are yeah. lots of people for whom this is a very you know it's psychedelics has been stigmatized for a long time and it is a nervous making thing for many people. So the point behind Beckley retreats and indeed Beckley Academy and everything that we're trying to do through Becky Waves is to really be that trusted, safe, approachable kind of place for, for people who, for whom this is a slightly daunting prospect. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the, there's the fear going in. There's the fear of, of changing your mind and, and what that might do or opening up the, the cans of worms, right? All the, all the shadow material. So there's the, there's the fear around that. And then, and I think, you know, that's part to be addressed. But there's also then on the other side of it, this kind of, I think, what tremendous window of opportunity where you've got this kind of potential sort of neuroplasticity. You've got this potential to, you know, lay down new, more healthy, more adventurous, more creative kind of tracks and ways of thinking and behaving in your life. And that requires support. Absolutely. And the truth is, I, I think. If it's, you know, if it's as powerful as it can be, it's really a kind of a gateway to a life's work. You know, it, it, it's, we, you know, at Beck Retreats, we offer six weeks. I think that is amongst the most comprehensive on the market out there. But, you know, we at Beckley Waves are looking at how can we actually support people, you know, who want and can benefit from ongoing practices, tools. There are lots of other modalities. I, I say that, you know, Psychedelics to me are a gateway drug to therapy and more inner work for people who, like me, had um, grown up in a very kind of Western, materialist, so-called rational worldview. It, it was that kind of psychedelic-assisted therapy which I did in Jamaica, where where it is lawful. It, it opened my mind to a whole new range of opportunities, and um, and some of them very challenging and it does need as, as you say it's it's ongoing i'm i'm certainly um, i feel at the, at the beginning my own journey well yeah i mean i look let's let's continue to hold on to beginner's mind for as long as possible and i do feel like i mean this is this is the short answer to sex psychics and psychedelics these are always back into beginner's mind and the energy of transformation you know being able to, to harness that energy of of potential transformation change, unlearning, review, all the things I'm most interested in that I've sort of come to from different different angles as a as a professional and as a as a sort of rogue experimenter in my own in my own right. Um, but I want to talk about your background because it seems like it's a really interesting mixture of I mean you say you know you came from this kind of Western culture and sort of the frontal cortex being online, but you also had a mother who was you know, a, a world explorer by the sounds of things. And 
And I know you became a conservative politician, which sounds to me at a glance like a, um, a rebellion or a move away from mom. Or can you, can you explain the arc of this journey? Sure. I was very lucky. My childhood was a very loving childhood. My parents were incredibly kind and fun and loving. But they were also, you know, uh, as I've said, of, of that kind of 1960s countercultural generation. And there wasn't a huge amount of structure in my childhood. You know, it was, there were a couple of rules, and the rules were I had to have good manners, bad manners were not permitted. And I had to, my mother always had a very strong work ethic. So a sense of, you know, and giving back, you know, so that she, she, she came, as I said, from a Catholic family. And that, that sense of giving back to society and the world was something which her mother took very seriously. My mother has always taken very seriously. And she's incul inculcated that into both Cosmo and me. But apart from that, it was, a, you know, there were not very strict bedtimes. It was not very strict bath time. There was a lot of kind of freedom. And um, I think that I did probably slightly react against that lack of structure. And I, I did yearn for a little bit more stability and constancy. And, um, and while I was always very close to my mum and knew that I wanted to give back, you know, that if I didn't do something that was um, deemed to be giving back to society, that would not be getting our approval. I definitely wanted to strike out on my own. And growing up in the kind of, you, you, I'm sure you remember the UK in the 90s, um, especially pre-97 and back to basics, it was not an environment that was super friendly to, for a young teenager having a mum advocating drilling holes in her head and, and taking LSD. We'll have to explain to the audience the drilling holes in the head is a special kind of, I think it's called trepanning, special technique trepanning. to open yeah. the third so that eye. Was, that, was, that was part yeah. of my godfather, Bart Hugers's overall kind of uh, set of tools for expanding consciousness. The, the, the theory being that when children are born, for example, the fontanelle hasn't sealed and that the fontanelle being that that soft, before the skull yeah. seals, you can okay. you can feel and you can actually see that the soft pulsation. spot on the top of the head. Are we talking yeah, about exactly yeah. that babies have, and um, that allows slightly more pulsation in the brain, which allows a higher level of blood volume in the brain, which the theory goes allows more brain activity because blood is yeah. the fuel of the brain, and so a higher level of consciousness. So, uh, the idea of trepanning, which is a very, very ancient kind of uh, operation that's been used throughout the kind of world and for thousands of years, is that it, uh, it also expands uh, consciousness. So that, that's, But wait, um, the trepanning is the drilling of a very small hole, isn't it, in the third eye area, not on the top it's, of the head? It's, it's, it's up in the, my, my parents both did it up in the top of the head. Oh, okay. Then I got that wrong. For some reason, I thought it was like directly into the third eye. That was a big connection. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although the exact placement of the third eye is probably debated also, you know, yeah, well, um, right. it may depend on the individual. Okay. So it's into the top of the head. And so, wait, you were how old when she did that? So she did that before I was born. But, um, oh, okay. She, she, um, she had lots of, um, you know, she, she, uh, trepanning and LSD were, she stood for parliament actually under the banner of trepanation for the National Health Service the year I was born. So it, my, my point is that I did react. I, I kind of bristled yeah. against that 
yeah. And, yeah. and reacted. And so I ended up, as you say, choosing career in politics. And I went into local government in London. And largely, you know, I think the kind of, I look back now and I see that it was partly a, a reaction to my, to my parents. But there was also very much a strong sense of wanting to, to serve the community that I was part of. And, um, and I did it for, for uh, about 11 years. And um, I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And what brought you back to psychedelics? Or not back to psychedelics, but in a way back to the culture of your parents? Yeah, well, I, um, I, I, I suppose in my late 30s, I ended up in a pretty dark hole, kind of psychologically speaking. And I was, I was, I was very stuck, really, in, in a place of despair um, and unhappiness. And I, I kind of lost my uh, sense of sense of belonging and sense of purpose and was just very um yeah i was i was in this kind of nihilistic rather desperate place and mm-hmm. after a couple of years there and i had uh, young children and i kind of i had it was anyway i i was i was desperate enough that i uh, overcame my reluctance mm-hmm. uh, to do what my mother had been advocating for all these years. Um, and so I, I went off to Jamaica and um, I, I did a kind of guided psilocybin session with the kind of preparation and integration. And it was, I'm afraid, it's, it's a cliche, but it was life-changing. Yeah. What did you, what did you see? Did you see something or what was, if I, you could you know put what? it in it a was, nutshell, what, what changed? Actually, it was, it wasn't, it was like, I actually describe it as a taste. There was, it was a very visceral. I remember tasting a sense of the possible again. Like I had been quite an optimist and I'd lost that. And suddenly it was, it was, it was weirdly for me, it was like a tasting. It was real. I could taste kind of faith in the possibility that life held. It was worth trying again mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. suddenly instead of all the things that i'd been afraid of all the kind of unknowns and the risks and uh, i'd kind of lost a lot of the certainties that i'd held up until that point in the kind of in those couple of years in the dark place suddenly the unknown took on a kind of a magical aura it was like i was inspired by what I didn't know, instead of being frightened by what I didn't know, and yeah. I, was, I was inspired yeah. by. It. I wanted. I was. My curiosity was re-sparked. The sense of there just being possibility, and I came out with a kind of clear sense, a clear path out of that that hole. Um, I had to. I had to go and admit to my mum that she had been right all along. <laughs> that wasn't. That was not the easiest part. Um, Did she pump her fist in the air? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, was, she, was, she was very gracious uh, about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm was sure she was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, like, to be honest, it was very clear to me from then that, you know, if I hadn't had my mother being who, who she is, I'm not sure it would have, I'm not sure I would have had that, um, the, the kind of, the drive. Like, I wouldn't have thought it was possible. I would have been much more. So it, to me, part of my mission, having been, having rejected that and having known the, the mindset of people um, or myself 
of that kind of rejectionist view of of the kind of more ineffable, the the, the mm-hmm. less rational. You know, I, I felt that I had an opportunity to bridge, to be that bridge between um, people who have uh, kind of dismissed that with a little bit mm-hmm. of a contemptuous sneer, um, yes. and and you know the the world that my mother has uh, spent so long uh, as a part of and, and so yeah I, I that was that to me seemed like a new a new calling yeah i mean there are definitely many parts of the story i can i can relate to i mean one in terms of sort of the the being mothered by a very kind of you know a, a free spirited eccentric and you know coming back time and time again you know, in my adult life to the beauty of that. But as a younger person, really wanting more stability, I mean, I think that's been one of the big, big cravings in my life, which has been kind of ironic because I've, you know, been, had a very sort of adventurous path. But, you know, underneath there's always been this feeling like, where is the stability? And, and of course, as you keep opening the boxes, it's only reinforced really that, that, that there isn't uh, much. <laughs> and, um, you know, we have to sort of just, just, you know, create our own shapes really. And there's such beauty in that when you can connect to the to the possibility. So it's interesting where, or it's almost like I see it almost as sort of like fake stability or like the fake shapes of stability kind mm. of resurrect themselves. And it makes me think of a couple of things talking about England. One is, well, it's nice to hear a Brit talking about possibility um, because I feel like you know it's been a lot easier for me to grow my possibility journey out here in the states. I know I have some friends back home who are probably laughing at me the whole time. Okay, great. But, uh, but you know, but nobody here gives a fuck what I'm doing. So that's nice. And, um, and I can keep, you know, I think, I think British culture is, is very, I love it and I miss it, but God, it's judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like people love to put you in a box and, and make a case about who you are. And, and I think that can make it harder to shift, to change your mind, to change your life, to really make the most of the fact that you have a life. That fear of being judged is is can really get in the way, and I think psychedelics can really sort of help with that, like kind of getting through those kind of the blocks of self consciousness that can be reinforced by culture. I, look, I have to say that I, um, you know, I, I I spend a lot of time now working in America and traveling to the to the states, and I I do love. Um, I mean, it's it's a bit of a cliche, but the the sense of the possible in the U.S. and you know, look, we all know the U.S. Has its, its own shadow and has lots <laughs> of issues bit, yes. and problems, yes, yes. and um, yeah. you know, I, I'm I'm often very grateful to be living in kind of moderate little England. Um, yeah, beautiful, I, there, cultural, sophisticated England. I mean, you know. um, yeah, but it's it's got it's it's got it's it has plenty of its own shadow too. Absolutely, and everything everything does. I'm curious about that in terms of I know so little really about the the British side of the the psychedelic revolution, which was one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you. I mean, beyond is Beckley really the the main piece of action that's happening there? What, can you give me some kind of overview of psychedelics in Britain right now? So I think there's lots of good research happening in the UK. So Imperial Kings UCL, I know Exeter. You know, there's, so there's really good scientists, and indeed, there's there's a thriving kind of I think you know integration therapist scene and the psychedelic society. So there, there's lots happening in the UK. I'd say that where we 
our strongest is on the, the research. In terms of actual kind of uh, discussions around policy reform and application of the research, I think the US is, is where it's at. And um, hence, hence why I, um, on, in Becky Waves, um, have to spend a lot of time in the US. And Becky Retreats is a US-based company yeah. Becky Academy is a US based company. There are there are some there are some great companies here in the UK and as I say, lots of people like David Nutt and I'm Robin Carter Harris has now gone to the US too. But there I mean wonderful people like Michelle Baker Jones and Ros Watts and David Eritz. So there are there are lots of um, you know, really good researchers and therapists here in the UK. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um the UK is, seems to be crammed full of talent in all directions. I'm curious, do you get kind of kickback and judgment from your old colleagues? Do you feel like you've had to enter a completely different world of people moving from politics to, to psychedelics? Or? You know what? Like, it's, it's like, you probably, well, look at the name of your, your, your podcast. Like, psychedelics has become, it's almost like a bit tiring if you, you know, go, go to dinner and people ask you what you're doing and it's like, oh God, now Seriously, I've been at this for ages. I'm so, so <laughs> bored of talking about it. I, I like the people in the community, but man, yeah, I totally it's, get it. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 you know, I really think in the, just in the last couple of years, psychedelics has, it's become part of, it's increasingly part of mainstream conversation. Even people who haven't yet tried psychedelic therapy or haven't done it, you know, it's, it's, it's something which people are taking seriously. They know that there's a lot of really rigorous scientific research behind it. They know that it's not just a bunch of people in tie-dye t-shirts, you know. So I, I think it is increasingly taken, taken seriously and people are, are really interested in it, which is why what we're doing at Beckley Waves is important because it's one thing doing the research, but actually, you know, with the good results of the research, there are more and more people who are now wanting to try this. And so we need to make sure that doing it safely with the right, you know, setting and the right guides and the right support mechanisms in place. And for those people who, like me, mind about doing it lawfully, um, that there are opportunities to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it seems a little bit more kind of contained and, and containable in England, at least from where I'm standing, because now you know where I am here in West Los Angeles, you can't grow a stick without hitting a, a shaman of some kind. <laughs> and you know, it's just, it's just nuts. You know, there's so much kind of choice. And I don't know who you ended up running into at the psychedelics conference, but you know, there are so many what I call the, the young bulls, you know, there are so many entrepreneurs going, going hard at it for, for the the profit side of things and, you know, thinking we can use this kind of marijuana model for psilocybin, which is a model that I don't think even works that great anyway. I mean, it's all, it's all tricky stuff. And I think it all needs to be handled with care, all aspects. I think, you know, that, that's, that's an important point. And we're very, again, with my, you know, with my mom at the helm, we're very conscientious about kind of checking ourselves constantly and making sure that the kind of the pace of scaling and the kind of intentionality that we check and, and keep on kind of correcting ourselves throughout the kind of the Beckley family of organizations. And again, we're very fortunate because of my mother's relationship. We, we've set up what we're rather grandly calling kind of an ethics council, but it's really a kind of advisory, a kind of external group of 
people who've really been in the field for a long time, people like um, Rick Doblin and Paul Stamets and um, others. There's an amazing Dr. Dingle Spence and Dr. Pam Crisco, who you might know, who um, have, have joined our advisory board, this kind of ethics council, to kind of, in a way, ask us those difficult questions to make sure to, to hold our feet to the fire and make sure that as we are setting up these for-profit businesses, we kind of keep on asking those those difficult questions of ourselves and making sure that we we don't try going too fast or um, mm. you know you, you call it an ethics council ethics yeah committee? I mean it's, it's a, I, I, I you know my I'm slightly shy to, to call it that it's it's why a, it's a, I mean it sounds so important I think it's incredibly important but um and that's why we you know we we've set up and we're incredibly lucky to have so many kind of eminent people who's who, who without doubt have been doing this from a pure mission impact point of view for so long to be advising us and asking us those questions. Gosh, I think it's so important, you know, as a, as a mental health practitioner, there's just like, oh my God, I, this is nothing to be shy about seeing it from the rooftops because if only we had ethics committees within the world of therapists, within the world of social workers, within the world of psychiatrists, within the world of doctors, blah, blah, blah. all of the, all of them, I mean, I'm banging on about this for years, but, but this this sort of, this whole, men in the white coat syndrome, you know, we need such good checks and balances systems because once psychedelics start getting involved, there's, you know, there can be these kind of rushes of power, rushes of excitement, rushes of potential, which is why we love it all. In one way and another way, this is exactly what needs to be checked. This is part of integration, you know, that's a beautiful idea, but does it really serve everyone else or you know, you think you're being so magnanimous doing this, that or the other, but are you really? Let's get grounded. Let's get grounded. Let's get grounded. You could only do that within networks of, of people. And that's what, again, in Beckley Academy and our kind of, you know, large part of the foundations to psychedelic assisted therapy course that we've, we've launched, we had an amazing array of subject matter experts. People, I mentioned before, people like Michelle Baker-Jones and Fred Reinhold and um, Carolina Maggio who've been advising us on, on the kind of content of this course, what's necessary. And a lot of the focus is on, you know, that self-reflection, getting the people going through the course to really do those self-reflection exercises, doing that shadow work to kind of really understand why are they drawn towards psychedelic-assisted therapy? Because it's, you know, look, my own experience, it's so powerful. It's so, there's so much potential good in it. Because of that power, if it's you know not done carefully, if it's not done with really right intention, it can also go wrong. So you know, making sure there's a real sense of reverence for the power of these compounds and the need for the kind of holistic trauma-informed therapy um, modules is, is is really important. We're very lucky to have had people um, who really are experts in that. Well, you've got the integration from that that first wave that obviously you know was so had so much potential in it and then went so wrong i just read the you know my problem child book by by hoffman i don't know if you've read it but you know he just reinforces again and again this was not supposed to be for you know he was so upset poor man that he had kind of discovered and introduced lsd that then became so abused and he's he really felt that this was for the mystical experience um, and and not for the the recreational. I, I love it? his. Fun I love his book, The Road to Eleusis. Have you? Have I haven't you read, read that? that one. No. 
which um, in which he posits. And now, actually, do you know Brian Murarescu, who wrote the recent book, The, the Immortality Key? That's a kind of No, I've heard of the on, book, but yeah. The follow-on. And yeah. it's the, the, it postulates, and I think with a lot of very strong evidence, that Western civilization actually was, was built on uh, a psychedelic sacrament. So the, the mysteries of Eleusis um, were what kind of, you know, a, a rite of passage for all Greek citizens. So all the greatest Greek philosophers, mathematicians, leaders were initiates of Eleusis. And uh, there's a lot of evidence just that that was a, a, a psychedelic, mystical experience. And, uh, and so actually, he, my, for his 100th birthday, my mother uh, edited a, a, a book called Hoffman's Elixir, um, LSD and the New Eleusis. And, you know, he had this idea that we need the, the 21st century, Western civilization had reached the stage where it needs a new Eleusis. And um, in many ways, my, my mother liked the idea of setting up Beckley retreats, which is doing non-clinical psychedelic. You know, in, in Jamaica and the Netherlands, we aren't doing clinical psychedelic assisted therapy. So we're not offering treatments for depression. It, it's more for personal growth and spiritual development. It's experiential, um, yeah. And it's, it's, so it's, it's that idea of, you know, really a, a new Eleusis for the 21st century. I, I, mm. I, like. I love that. And it opens up in terms of expectations instead of this idea that, you know, we have these problems, depression, anxiety, that are these discrete, discernible, you know, DSM diagnostic problems mm. that can be fixed with this one thing, you know, where I think we're moving with the help of psychedelics and I hope with other kind of advancements in mental health into a more holistic understanding of, of what we need as humans. And, you know, one of the things that we need is, is hope. Mm. <laughs> you know? And I think particularly now, you know, we need, we need hope. We need the ability to revise. We need to access potential and we need to start understanding sustainability, I think, within ourselves. And I think psychedelics help us do that by tapping us into kind of our own energy systems, which interestingly enough have to do with imagination, how we see things and what we feel is possible for us. So, um, yeah, I like I like the openness of that that approach, sort of non non dogmatic. I, I agree. I think um, yeah, it's it's been they say it's uh, it's been very valuable for for me in in the way in which it's opened up that as you I like the the, the imagination, the kind of you know the awe inspiring possibility. I, I I now you know in a way choose to believe we we live in an enchanted universe rather than doggedly insisting that we live in a disenchanted universe. I think that's a great, a great choice to be made and, and remade on a mm. daily basis. Perhaps it's, it could become another of my fridge stickers, of which there are many at the moment. Um, so, well, one personal note is, you know, next time I'm in England, I would love to come and have tea with you and maybe even the Queen. Please. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she'd love to meet you. I would love and that. Wrestle, I met her wrestle, on a, wrestle you to oh, the ground. I'm going to wrestle her. I'm going to yeah. take a debt. No, no. Just, I, will, I, will, I will revere her. And um, no, I met her once on, on the phone call, actually, with a, with a mutual friend of ours and uh, love to even hear her voice. So, so yeah, I'd love to do that. It's really nice to be connected. And I'd like to end with uh, two questions that may end up being one answer, but really what is, what is your hope for your own work and what is your hope for the, the psychedelic revolution? As I said, my own work, I feel I'm, I'm very much at the beginning of this journey. Of, um, I, I read a nice, uh, I think it was Ken Wilber who uses the phrase, um, one's got to, uh, is it clean up, grow up, 
wake up and then show up. Um, I'm still very much in the cleaning up phase. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to growing up. Um, <laughs> and who knows whether I'll ever get to waking up. I don't know. But, um, and my hope for the, for the psychedelic ecosystem more generally is, is that it you know, grows carefully and with intent, but gives more and more people the chance to people who feel stuck in one way or another, who've kind of done everything they've always been told and done what kind of society so far has been telling us is, is right, but feels stuck and fat and a bit hopeless. I think it can really give them hope, give them a sense of possibility. And if anything like me, actually begin to clean up and um, hopefully then the ripple effects are the, you know, we treat those closest to us better and then those a bit further treat them better and so on and so on. So I think it's a kind of individual by individual, we can hope have a big societal impact. Beautiful. I love the idea of applying the, the Wilbur mantra to the psychedelic revolution. Cleaning up and growing up definitely seems to be the part that we're in. Maybe a little waking up too, let's hope. Um, thank you so much for your time, Rock. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was lovely to talk to you. 